Visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Hello and welcome to Radio Taiwan International. I am Natalie So. Up to so, we have some interesting uh, features for you. Ear to the ground, Andrew Ryan will bring you some fascinating sounds from Taiwan. And on jade bells and bamboo pipes, you'll hear some beautiful classical Chinese music brought to you by Carlson Wong. But first, join us for Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. It's Wednesday, November 13th, and in the studio we have Jake Chen. Hello. Paula Chow. Hello. And I am Natalie So. We'll be telling you about Ang Lee's wife and what she has to say about her marriage. Also, a new trend to watch out for called Hikikomori. And um, we'll be telling you what some brothers from New Zealand did with Taiwan's ocean debris. And also some thoughts on immigration in Taiwan. Those stories and more coming right up. Okay, so um, Ang Lee was in Taiwan um, promoting his newest film right. called Gemini Man. That was with Will Smith. That was really nice to have him here. Yeah. And, uh, and Ang Lee's wife actually spoke to the media about her experience. Yeah, she uh, really flew under radar, didn't she? Uh, amidst all the limelights for her husband and uh, obviously Will Smith. But uh, this lady actually has quite a, a list of accomplishments really? for herself. Yeah, uh, her name is uh, Lin Huijia. She actually graduated from NTU, the top university in Taiwan, the National Taiwan University. And she's currently a, a pretty senior researcher in molecular biology. So a very uh, accomplished professional woman. Now, one of the most common questions that people ask her when they talk, when they talk about her relationship and how she supported Ang Lee is that, what exactly did you do when Ang Lee didn't have a job or income for the first six years? We all know that, that he, the director struggled to, to, to land an uh, investment for, for the film. And uh, Miss Lin very graciously said, um, Ang Lee would still have the success today. Nothing would have changed because I didn't do much. Apart from supporting him, you know, I, I didn't. I just left him alone. Uh, that's her own words. You know, I don't force anything uh, on him. And I guess just leaving uh, him and leaving the kids alone is the theme of her interview because they also asked um, her about how she educates um, her children. And then uh, she said, uh, "Well, we all uh, want the best for our children, but the way we want to approach things might not be the same." Might not be something that our children are comfortable with, so I leave them alone as well. Yeah. <laughs> so she she seems to be this really understanding, uh, really easygoing person, you know. And um, I, that's not easy to leave people alone. I mean, it sounds like it's easy, but it's not, right? It's yeah. not easy at all. I mean, I if mean, your husband's right. not working for six or eight years, you you may have a word or two to say to him. <laughs> right. Well, it's not every family concern, has, right? has that luxury. Easier you know? said than done, yeah. Right. right. I mean, I'm sure she was pulling her weight, right? Doing oh, very definitely. well in, so that he could have the luxury of, of experimenting with his yeah. passion. And, right? and writing different scripts and, you know, pitch it to different studios. So, yeah, she's a, here's a photo of her with Ang Lee and her son. A very, a very optimistic uh, lady, as it seems. I don't know much about his children. That's yeah. going to be interesting to learn more about them as well. I think Ang Lee's oldest son is an actor himself as well. Really? Yeah, I think in he... In Taiwan or in uh, uh, the U.S.? 
I'm not sure like if he has a permanent base, but in the previous film, Billy Ling's Halftime Walk, where the film in which Ang Lee also experimented with a bunch of high tech, one of his sons, I'm not sure if it's this one, also made an appearance. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh. uh, I guess the, the children are, are carrying forward the torch. So Well, they have a, a good connection to Hollywood, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, well, that's really cool. It's nice to hear from the better half, right? Yeah. Okay, we had a prominent lawmaker come out to talk about immigration, which is actually a big trend in Taiwan. We have more and more new immigrants, and um, they're they're making Taiwan a different place, and they are contributing a lot to Taiwan. So tell us about what was said recently. Okay, um, she is um, Xiao Meiqing. At a recent event um, sponsored by Taiwan's immigration agency, uh, Xiao talked about her mother's own experience. Her mother is American and her father is Taiwanese. Well, she said that 50 years ago when um, her mother first came to Taiwan, she didn't know how to speak Mandarin Chinese. There was no um, cell phones, no email, and it's very difficult for her mother to communicate with her family back in the States. And she um, and the lawmaker also said when she went to grade school, um, her mother is the only, I mean, foreigner. So then, Xiao Meiqing uh, right. went to grade school in Taiwan. Right, she, she went to grade school in Taiwan. And she said that her mother is the only foreigner. And then, you know, uh, there were very little you know, resources for for new immigrants, not to mention um, in a government office uh, such as the immigration agency. And so she thinks the government has made a lot of progress, and she also encouraged new immigrants, especially those who are from Southeast Asia, from Indonesia, Thailand, and uh, Vietnam, to teach their children um, to speak their own mother tongues. And at the event, a Vietnamese woman who's also married to Taiwanese um, also talked about her own experience. She's from Vietnam, and she has been living in Taiwan for nine years. She said that the second day after she arrived in Taiwan, her parents-in-law took her to a grade school to sign up for a language class. So she speaks fluent Mandarin. She hasn't, um, she uh, has attended that, that class for nine years, nonstop. Wow. Right. And she Probably also, better than me then, no. <laughs> <laughs> and she also said that she's hoping that Viennese women can teach their children Viennese. And she hopes that one day uh, their children will be proudly say to their classmates that my mother is from Southeast Asia and I'm the kids from Southeast Asia. Well, that is a big new trend in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I remember doing a couple of documentaries covering these new immigrants. And I know that our every every district office, they have free Mandarin classes for these immigrants. Mm. And we have a lot of resources for them. I mean, more and more. We have, and, and a lot of them, they, um, you know, host cultural events. They really try to get them involved in the community. I think that our government is trying to reach out to them. I mean, it's not easy to adjust to a new society if you don't know the language. Right. I actually went to uh, um, an elementary school to watch these new immigrants study Chinese. Really? Uh, yeah, there were night schools for them. So I think the class I went to had about 20 or 30 um, women from Vietnam, and they, they studied really hard. They are very right. hard working. Right. And, you know, a lot of them um, have opened up some really nice businesses in mm-hmm. Taiwan that a lot of us enjoy, like uh, Vietnamese restaurants. Mm-hmm. Do you guys like Vietnamese food? Yes. Yeah, it's mm. delicious. Also, they they have a lot of the um, manicure, pedicure shops. Oh, yes, a lot. And they yeah. offer a lot of services like massage and doing your eyelashes and eyebrows and 
and very good prices. <laughs> so they're very popular. So, so they seem to be making, you know, a good uh, inway into Taiwan society. And I think Taiwan society is becoming more welcoming of immigrants as well. Right. I think in about 30 or 40 years, um, we will have a, a lawmaker who is originally from Vietnam. That Oh, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, that won't come as a surprise. Yeah, probably. And, and their children as well, right? Mm-hmm. How about you, Jake? I mean, you are kind of an immigrant from, you have two backgrounds, Canada and China. Do you, how do you feel as uh, Taiwan is as a society? Is it welcoming to people with different backgrounds? I think it's, it really depends on where you come from, right? I mean, as a foreign national who works here, you know, uh, on a professional realm, I'm treated pretty well, you know, or I should say those people who are, you know, here as, as laborers, you know, they're not paid as well comparatively. But I do think that with for people with my accent, uh, like people from you mean Chinese uh, mainland American? China, yeah, oh, no, okay. my mainland Chinese accent, uh, there's a lot of stigma attached to it, you know, and there's a lot of, I wouldn't go as far as to say discrimination, but there's a lot of uh, judgments, you know, that's really groundless, you know, mm. uh, and I've experienced no, me and my wife experienced no shortage of that. So, yeah, I do hope that that would uh, change for the better in the future. You mean like you guys must be pro-China or something like that? What no, kind of it's, not, it's not even. What do you mean by judgment? It's, it's not even. It's not even political. It's just uh, you guys must come from a really backward system. Like you're not well educated. You know, you're not well oh. off. Things like that. So, you know, people can have their political opinion. You know, I really don't care too much for it outside of work. But if that spills over to personal opinions, uh, and 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 that is, I think, pretty close to discrimination. You know, and I think that's a bit much. Yeah, I know that actually a lot of um, immigrants from Southeast Asia and China face discrimination. I mean, yeah. that's, that's you know, I did my uh, documentary about, I don't know how many years ago, but seven, eight years ago. It was about three Vietnamese sisters who married Taiwanese men. Oh, cool. And then they told me some, you know, really blatant kind of discrimination, things that they, people would say to them, like, how much did your husband pay for you? Oh. You know, and how many children did you give him? To I mean, I mean, it's like, did he get his money's worth? You know, I mean, they're basically... Traded as... Yeah, in the beginning. Second um, class citizens. Uh, for a while, I think, when they first started coming, because there were these marriage um, broker agencies, which have since been outlawed, because they really did treat women like they were objects, you know. Yeah. And they paraded them, like, in, in a lines. They pick one that you like. And you can And you pay your them. money, and then you take her home. So some of the men, not all of the men, but would treat... The wives like an object some of them are very nice men who just were too shy or whatever to get their own wife in taiwan <laughs> so right but um yeah i think taiwan is improving but i think it still has a ways to go in, in welcoming people of all backgrounds definitely yeah but we are making progress yes <laughs> The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Um, and some doctors came out to spread awareness of this new trend in society. Actually, it comes from a Japanese term called 
Hikikomori. Have you guys heard of that? Sounds nope. fancy. Sounds fancy because it's a different language. Yeah. But it describes someone who withdraws from society and is also closely related to internet addiction. So, um, you know, um, this, oh. these psychiatrists, and I can see traces of this, you know. <laughs> guys, a, I mean, they love video games, right? And that's an like, epidemic in Japan. That yeah, people who and don't I think step in Asia, well, actually around the world, you know, because there's so much online. You, you, there's a whole community online you could be in connected the US too? to. Yeah, and, oh. um, you know, also gaming, right, is so big among uh, mostly males, I think. But um, here are some things that the doctors here said. Well, for some people, playing video games is the simplest and fastest way to be happy. <laughs> or <laughs> I can't disagree because I've been there. So what am I saying? No. Yeah, I can hear things like that from my son. Like this is what makes me happy. You know, <laughs> like it's much more fun so in school long. and you know hanging out with my peers. <laughs> this is all I have. You know, yeah. um, and then sometimes games can be used to compensate for setbacks they encounter in reality. Um, and, um, that's not good. Okay. If you go overboard, of course, it's not good. Actually, internet, uh, gaming addiction became an official disease by the WHO, I think last year. Yes. Last year. I yeah. Remember that. Internet uh, gaming disorder or something like that. Um, so if it affects your life negatively, that's when you know you're in trouble. Like saying, um, you tend to lose interest in school or work. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about Hikikomori. It's not just about gaming, but it's about people who withdraw from society. So they share five main traits. One is spending most of their time at home. Two is showing a lack of interest in school or work. Three, prolonged social withdrawal lasting more than six months. Four, lack of social interaction. And five, the absence of mental disorders. So I guess it's not a mental illness, but it's more you're just kind of withdrawing. And yeah. spending all your time online. I've heard of that phenomenon in Japan, like extreme cases of people who behave that way. They literally don't step out of the house for months at a time. Oh, that's extreme. Yeah. And how can they get their food? I guess they can order online. Take out, <laughs> take out like literally take out all the time. A delivery, right? Yeah. Or you can get it delivered and to order their apartment online, and right? You don't need to get out. So. <laughs> so, well, in Asia, like Japan, Hong Kong, South Korea, internet addiction is 4%. And this is even more uh, intense. I bet. It's 1% to 2%. So it's really withdrawing from society. This is kind of a sad, sad phenomenon. They also said it's a little bit different in different parts of the world. In the U.S., hikokomori is basically more associated with the fear of failure. In the U.K., it's with avoidant personalities. In Japan, it's related to children relying on their parents for financial support. Mm. The typical guy who's playing video games and still lives at home at 30 years old or something. when he's 35. (laughs) Right. And there could be a lot of other factors, right? Trauma, bullying, all kinds of stuff. So what do you guys think of this? I really hope this doesn't continue to spread around. But, you know, all the matrix and and, uh, figures and statistics sort of point to the other direction, you know. And the reason WHO treat online uh, addiction as a legitimate addiction is because it's spreading pretty fast. And there's so much online that you can do, right? Yeah. And you can even connect with people, which is a different... I mean, it can be your social life. It's very easy to connect online. Yeah, definitely. Uh, even more than, like, say, let's go out for a movie, because maybe not everyone's available, right? Yeah. But a lot of people are in front of their internet, and they can chat. I mean, I know my kid watches movies online with his friends, and that's a way of watching a movie together. On the and then they screen? comment oh, on okay. it, like, ah, and it's very noisy. I don't like it, but <laughs> but it's a way of socializing, right? Yeah. 
I don't know. What, what they suggest is that people try to find other activities. Yeah. You know, get outdoors or do other hobbies. And the parents, they need to be really careful how they speak with their, how they communicate with their kids. Because a lot of parents don't like this, but they may, you know, communicate in a way that's hard to... For them to... To accept, right? Okay. So It's kind of hard because whenever I'm on the bus, everyone, you know, almost everyone is glued to his or her cell phone. Right. So it's not just... I don't think it's just a young adult or teenage thing. It's actually... I agree. Our society is becoming so hooked to our cell phones that yeah. we need to be careful and kind of manage our time. And be just be aware of the damage that comes with it, you know? That's true. Yeah. yeah. I went to a dinner once... And all the kids, they were in sixth grade, had a cell phone. Okay. And they're at in their own table and they're on their phone the entire time. No one I talked mean, to them. I mean, they were friends. Other? They're they're classmates. But they're just on their phone the entire time during dinner. And I'm like, what is oh, this new generation? Gee. <laughs> it just looks so weird. We're in trouble. Yeah, we're in trouble. We need to like really get more social. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we have an interesting idea from some brothers in New Zealand and what they did with our ocean debris here in Taiwan. Tell us what they did. Right. They actually use ocean debris to make flip-flops in that Taiwan. That's amazing. Right. How did it they is, do that? Um, they actually collect those debris from, you know, beaches around Taiwan. And most of the, those debris are plastic bottles or, or used um, plastic tubes. So, but it's all 100% made in Taiwan. And the um, older brother, his name is Justin. Well, he first came to Taiwan 10 years ago, and he fell in love with Taiwan. So he has been living here. He has been living in Taichung for many years. About two and a half years ago, um, he and his brother Andrew started um, you know, coming up with the idea. And so he decided to, um, you know, to use those ocean debris to make flip-flops. How did they make it into a textile or, you know? Yeah. I don't know. They find, uh, they actually, um, they found a suitable factory to work on that. Ah. They did a lot of, you know, try and error. And then it's, it, take, it took them about two and a half years to... Um, to get everything done. But he, they also said that, um, you know, Taiwan, New Zealand does not have that ability to recycle those um, materials. But in Taiwan, our recycling system is pretty good. And the um, the labor cost is also cheaper. And the manufacturer ha- um, have the ability to, you know, turn those debris into products. So they said they are pretty, um, you know, happy and very proud of doing that. So that's, well, that's really cool. And there's mm-hmm. plenty of plastic in our well, oh, sure. for right. them to use, right? right. Not so, something to be proud of, but yeah, so, they're there. So they're making this a business or just a hobby? It, it's a it's a business. Oh, it's a right. business. Good for them. It's an eco-friendly yeah. business. Very good business they have there. That's great news. And we hope that uh, there'll be more things like that happening here in Taiwan. Thank you for joining us. And do stay tuned for Ear to the Ground and Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. For Here in Taiwan, I'm Natalie So. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Paula Chow. We'll see ya.
The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. A couple weeks ago, a local TV crew came to do a report on how we search for sounds and turn them into stories. They wanted me to bring them somewhere in Taipei where we could go and find something that I've never before recorded. I ended up bringing them to the Gongguan district near the National Taiwan University. And at a traditional market, I discovered something I'd never heard before. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, I discover the breath of the city. An ear to the ground. Gongguan sounds like just about everywhere else in Taipei. When we arrive at 9 a.m. on a sunny Friday morning, the last stragglers are rushing to work. Busload after busload of passengers empties and reloads at a busy intersection. The film crew shoots me from a couple different angles, holding a microphone, listening to the sounds on my headphones, and then we enter a nearby market. It's the Shuiyuan Market, which has been around for years, but recently got a facelift. Inside, I wander around, followed by the camera crew, which is always awkward. I go from stall to stall, buying steamed buns at one place and then chatting with a woman about household goods at another. Some of the shopkeepers were very curious about what we were filming. Others were even a little annoyed. It's hard to be elusive when you're walking around with such huge cameras and microphones and other equipment. The funny part about the excursion is that the program was for a Buddhist television station, which means that we had to avoid filming any images of meat or butcher shops, because they're vegetarian, of course. That was kind of tough, considering that the whole second floor of the marketplace seemed to be dedicated to just that. I also did my best to avoid recording the sound of chopping meat. But the real find was not the food stalls and the butcher shops. It was the little workshops where women... And yes, it was all women, as far as I could see, were sewing. They were assembling everything from curtains to, as this woman says, women's pants. It's been years since I heard the sound of sewing machines up close. It made me think of the old Singer sewing machine that my mom used to assemble our Halloween costumes when I was little. I love the sounds of these machines, not just because they make me nostalgic, but because every time you hear the rumble, you know that stitches are being laid into the fabric, work is being accomplished, and the dress or drapes or whatever it is, is closer to being completed. As I round a corner, I'm greeted by another sound coming from one of the shops. A big sigh is emitted from one of the steamers. A woman is pressing the fabric with an industrial iron. She's curious to know what it is that we're doing. I tell her that I'm collecting unusual sounds and that her iron sounds like it's breathing. She says she thinks it's strange. Almost nobody records sounds. I say that she must find sounds like this pretty normal and that she must think that there's nothing special about them. She admits that it does sound like someone is breathing. I tell her that it sounds like this one that accompany her through her everyday life. She agrees. And she says she has to hear it every day or else she'd feel like she was missing something. As I exit the market doors, I'm left with the memory of the rumbling sewing machines and the breathing of the steamers. I can't help but feel that this is the heart of Gongguan, a big, living, breathing building 
at its center. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. the beauty of Chinese and Taiwanese traditional music on jade bells and bamboo pipes. Hello and welcome to Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. I'm Carlson Wong and on today's show we'll be playing for you music by Taipei Zhengxin Zheng Music Orchestra and the first piece of music that we'll play for you today is Norminjia. Norminjia is the name of a Mongolian girl she was married to a faraway place from homeland, and this music shows her sorrow and pity of missing her beloved ones.
Nomingia, a Mongolian folk song performed by Taipei Zhengxin Zheng Music Orchestra. And next, we'll listen to the fascinating sound of spring. This is a modern composition for Zheng music. By using various changes of the sound of Zheng, it shows the beauty of spring. And here again is the fascinating sound of spring.
This is Radio Taiwan International. And once again, you're listening to Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. I'm Carlson Wong, and today we feature music performed by Taipei Zhengxin Cheng Music Orchestra. Taipei Zhengxin Cheng Music Orchestra was founded by Professor Wei De Dong, a well-known Cheng musician here in Taiwan and his outstanding students in 1977. The orchestra up to now has presented, co-presented, or was invited to perform more than hundreds of concerts here in Taiwan and abroad.
This is a Hakka song, Rowing Boats. Hakka is a group of people living in Taiwan, and this is rearranged from a Hakka song between a girl and a boy, and it can be sung all year round, and it depicts the hardworking character of the Hakka people. Coming up, we'll listen to another piece of music from Taiwan. This is dance music of the Amis. The Amis are an Austronesian ethnic group native to Taiwan, and the Amis are one of the 16 officially recognized groups of Taiwanese Aborigines. of the armies, I really like the way that's played on the Zheng instrument. Again, the armies are an ethnic group native to Taiwan, and they are one of the 16 recognized groups of the Taiwanese Aboriginal peoples. And with that music, we'll also wrap up this week's Jade Bells and Bamboo Pipes. Thank you for listening. For comments and suggestions, please write to PO Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. And our email address is rti at rti.org.tw. And again, RTI is short for Radio Taiwan International. Once again, I do look forward to your comments and suggestions. Thank you once again for listening. I'm Carlson Wong, and I'll see you next week. Take care. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.